and welcome back to Edible Ocean. I'm Edith Wilson, Professor Tony's audio and production assistant, and this is the podcast where we talk about all kinds of aspects of fisheries conservation and how to take care of the oceans from which we eat. This week, we're very honored to have Dr. Shelley Ann Cox on the show. She is the Chief Fisheries Officer of Barbados. Before her current position, she obtained her PhD in natural resource management and has over 10 years of experience in fisheries management research and consulting. Her research is mostly related to something you'll hear mentioned a few times during her conversation with Professor Tony, sargassum. It's a type of seaweed that floats in island-like bunches not attached to the seafloor and is an important nursery area for mahi-mahi, jacks, amberjacks, as well as an important habitat for a variety of fishes, sea turtles, marine birds, and more. But, as Dr. Cox said in a 2021 article, the Caribbean has seen massive episodic influxes of pelagic sargassum, which can negatively impact coastal ecosystems. Since 2011, previously rare kinds of sargassum have seasonally appeared, and Dr. Cox has published several articles on the topic. She's particularly interested in the interdisciplinary aspect of resource management. So today on the podcast, she tells us about what fisheries management looks like in a smaller country with a mostly artisanal fishery, and how social science can help fisheries managers get better results. One quick note about this episode. You'll hear some background noise since Professor Tony and Dr. Cox were having their conversation outside, which I tried to fix in post, but there's only so much you can take out the lovely sounds of hubbub around you. We will be taking a short break after this show's release to plan for more episodes, so I guess this is the end of the first season. If you haven't listened to our previous episodes, check them out on RSS or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, without any further ado, here is Professor Tony Winson interviewing Dr. Shelley Ann Cox. Hi, my name is Dr. Shelley Ann Cox. I'm from Barbados, a little island in the Caribbean. I'm the Chief Fisheries Officer of Barbados. Um, recently started my appointment in January of this year, 2023. Uh, my background is fisheries management and marine biology, um, but special emphasis on social science, co-management, um, participatory action research. So that's what really inspired me in terms of the career choice and now being a young leader tasked with the development of the fisheries resources in my country, Barbados. Well, thank you so much, uh, shelly for agreeing to be on our podcast, Edible Ocean, and uh, really looking forward to knowing a little bit more about uh, the artisanal fishery and, and the fishery industry in small island nations. Well, uh, l- let's begin with a question. Um, could you give us some idea what the fishery sector looks like in Barbados, just to give our listeners some idea what, what we're dealing with here? Yes, so we have small artisanal fisheries in Barbados. Um, we have a total of 1,500 registered vessels, but only about 500 active right now. And we have quite diverse fisheries um, from reef fisheries, so part fish, um, 
grunts and those types of you know very colorful fish associated with the reef to pelagic fisheries like mahi mahi kingfish um, marlins as well we have a fishery for what we're known for barbados is the land of the flying fish and uh, we're real renowned as that so flying fish did contribute to the majority of our landings until 2011 when sarcasm started to create some complexities um, so flying fish we're also known as a good destination for sports fishing as well um, I think our culture and our national identity is around fisheries and coastal heritage so it's quite important for us and then um, fisheries are seasonal so then we have some complexities as it relates to our labor force and then there being a high pelagic season and then there's a season where things are quite quiet and some of our fisher folk seek alternative livelihoods or they might switch to more near shore fisheries for conch, lobster, spear fishing and other things. Uh, we do have some seine fishing for small coastal pelagics like jacks as well um, and our longliners are going beyond our exclusive economic zone to target yellowfin and big eye tuna for export. Okay, so it's it's certainly a, um, a little more developed and more extensive than I had imagined. Um, how significant is it really for the uh, Barbadian economy? Well, <laughs> the contribution to GDP is quite small, although I think it's a big underestimate because of the fishery isn't valued very well and uh, we do have some challenges as it relates to data collection our staff complement isn't as small to really monitor the 31 landing sites that we have around the island so right now our contribution to GDP is 0 0.06 to 0 0.07 um, but I believe is much more than that and then you know since 2018 you know our new administration was very focused around blue economy and exploring the potential of such so there has been you know that political will to try to expand sectors in the blue economy like fisheries ports and shipping and you know other valuable mature sectors so there is a thrust now to really enhance that and then, you know, how do we integrate the technologies that can support us because we know our staff complement is quite small. Yeah, well, um, I wonder if you could give us some idea of what the principal issues are that is facing your, your fisheries, your fishers, and uh, brought more broadly the fishing industry on your island. Well, you know, the climate crisis, of course, has been faced everywhere. So we have things from coral bleaching, that's affecting the reef habitat and you know with the degradation of the coral reef you would see less um, fish species um, we have some bit of marine pollution as well um, I wouldn't say overfishing at a large scale but on some of the reef species the fish species have declined um, I would say it's a combination of factors all working in that sense. So definitely the increase in sea surface temperatures, we've been seeing the direct impact of that. And we have things like coastal erosion as well that is, you know, causing an impact to the com coastal communities. Also kind of 
or where our landing sites are, you know, just encroaching on some of the landing sites and the infrastructure there. Um, so we're seeing impacts like that. Um, I think other challenges are, you know, the lack of human resources um, that we're improving in a sense to the adaptive capacity or we coping to things like um, sargasm being a symptom of climate change that's significantly impacting the fishery sector in Barbados and the Caribbean generally. Um, and then we have issues, um, you know, psychosocial issues as well that's hindering development. Um, and sometimes we tend to forget about those types of impacts um, that are barriers. And then we had a lot of challenges with, you know, getting our Fisher Four organizations to be strong um, because it would help with governance aspects as well. We have in our Fisheries Act a facility for Fisheries Advisory Committee, which is like this, you know, intersectoral organ that supports governance. And this mechanism has, you know, over time become defunct. Um, but our new minister really wants to see this committee up and running so that I can advise him accordingly. We also have outdated um, legislation. Our Fisheries Act is 1993. And we do have <laughs> drafting instructions for a new sustainable fisheries management and development suite of laws. And of course, right now we're going through the process of consultation, feedback, and then we'll do a revision um, before we prepare the cabinet paper to be submitted in April. So the thing about the development of an industry in a small island nation, where you have about 8,800 people employed in our sector, is that your work becomes very dynamic. You deal on the legislative side of things, but you also have to be working steadily on infrastructure care and asset care. Um, you know, I spent a couple of weeks with some homeless people living aboard derelict and abandoned boats. So interesting social issues all weaved into fisheries management. So if you thought as a fisheries manager, <laughs> I, was, I told someone, you know, I never thought that this would have been part of my job. You know, as a marine biologist growing up, you think it was just, you know, having those management measures for specific fish species. But it's a lot more than that, you know, it's empowering people um, to see that unity is the best way to achieve and to overcome some barriers affecting the industry. It's just like providing training programs. Um, and navigation of safety of life at sea is just um, reaching out to sectors that you never thought you would have interacted with because, you know, those collaborations could support and enhance the sector. And there's a big part of it is youth engagement as well, too, because this is something we're struggling with. Lots of our captains are 50 and over. Um, so, you know, in, in a decade, you know, we will have really older I don't want to say old, but older captains and the skills won't be passed down. Um, so like part of our programming is just like how best to get youth integrated in the sector. How can we hook them with the technology and then capture them in a sense? Or how do we even work with, you know, prison to see if, you know, 
learning skills in the sector could help with rehabilitation programs. At this point, we have to be really creative in what we're thinking and do things very differently. Well, it sounds like there's some of the problems you have with, uh, you know, having an intergenerational transfer of, of enterprises and so on is similar to what's happening in North American agriculture, the farming sector. You know, the average age of farmers is is is, is quite high now and uh, yeah very similar yeah um, I'm just uh, I'd like to ask you um, some of the problems you've described for Barbados uh, particularly with uh, respect to the fishing sector again uh, is that typical of uh, Caribbean nations in the, in the West Indies you think or uh, are there some specific problems uh, that that just Barbados is dealing with. Yeah, definitely it is typical um, for in the Caribbean. Um, we work closely with our neighbors. We do have like a Caribbean regional fisheries mechanism where 17 of the CARICOM countries are members. So we have several regional meetings throughout the year where we're able to share our experiences and try and work on learning exchanges. Each fishery is a little different when you think about um, most of the other Eastern Caribbean islands only do day trips, whereas Barbados, we're quite advanced with the, you know, seven days or 14 day trips for long lining. Um, Grenada has, you know, lots of interest in long lining as well too, um, but their boats typically aren't the size that we have. Um, so, but a lot of the issues as it relates to youth engagement, uh, issues with data collection, um, funding, small fisheries division, staff complements, um, even within the division there are a lot of older persons as well trying to get you know younger fisheries biologists, just people to view careers in fisheries as attractive. Um, not only in the private sector side of things, but that. Um, but there are some success stories as well uh, as it relates to how we exchange information and take part in regional projects that can help. Um, just was thinking, I, I don't know, is there much in the way of international trade in seafood projects, pro um, in, sea in the seafood industry with respect to... Uh, you know, um, is there anything re related to trade agreements or whatever that is uh, problematic uh, or helpful for your fishing industry? Well, we have been exploring, well, we do export tuna in Barbados specifically twice a week um, to Miami. We are looking into trying to access premium markets, but we have a lot to do around, you know, traceability, some infrastructure upgrades making sure that our public markets are HACCP certified um, so that we can get into EU, for instance. Uh, so there were some regional projects that were trying to support those things. Um, but, you know, as a country, you still have to put in those resources to actually sustain those initiatives, uh, which were quite important. Um, but, you know, we have been um, in meetings recently around the World Trade Organization um, agreement on fisheries subsidies, for example, and our thoughts on, you know, we do provide some subsidies in, in Barbados as it relates to fuel, um, support for maintenance on a yearly basis for our wooden vessels, 
Um, but our fleet is artisanal. Um, these subsidies aren't for industrial fleets. But, you know, smaller countries will have to comply with some of the recommendations out of this agreement. And um, I think, too, international things, for instance, I can't. And how quotas are given, even the culture, and just how we fish. Now, right now, we've received letters of concerns from the amount of marlins that we land. But the marlins are being captured at the same time we're capturing tuna. And we're not exporting marlin, we're actually consuming it within Barbados. So it's food security. But we haven't been able to attend these international meetings to really advocate on our behalf. And, you know, you know blanket approaches to fisheries management generally don't fit our context as small island developments, developing states. It's really important why our Prime Minister, Mia Moore Motley, sticks out at all of these international meetings. Um, of course, you know, saying that we're not the ones that's causing the climate crisis and the impacts that we're currently suffering. Um, but we need that financing to really help us to become more resilient to these impacts. Well, yeah, very interesting. I think you've covered a lot of ground there. Can you give us just a very brief idea of what the future might look like? I mean, you, you say you're dealing with a lot of issues related to climate change and uh, changes in the ocean ecology and so on. Uh, is, there, is there some adaptive strategies uh, that you're trying to pursue at present that what might help mitigate some of that? Or? You know, we've started... Um, including solar panels on our fish markets, for instance, looking at water-saving techniques, um, renewable energy system as it relates to vessel monitoring devices. Um, we're also now going through a process, a marine spatial planning process that has been supported from debt for nature swaps. And um, I think this is important in um, not only protecting our ocean space, but making sure that fisher folk understand the importance of conservation and how it will contribute to the livelihoods in the future. Um, and then technology, I know, you know, um, using tablets for data collection to help us with our efficiencies, being able to um, report frequently so people have an idea of what the division is building back that trust I think that we want to uh, more or less as much time that we spend actually building out these fisheries information systems we still want to at least do as much work in um, building the capacity of our people and having those change management and um, sessions around professional development and the training programs to really support these initiatives. I think in order to improve adaptive capacity, um, you have to have the social science as well as the physical science. And then how do we then integrate the traditional knowledge from our stakeholders with the science um, so it's quite rich. And this can help with adaptation strategies as well too. We find even when there are professionals helping us to adapt to climate change impacts, it's always useful to have the local knowledge of persons 
at this particular area so that they will know, you know, maybe we tweak this engineering approach based on their experience living in that community for 30, 40 years. So these are the strategies that we want to use, as well as intersectoral collaboration, um, working with tourism um, businesses. Um, we have been engaging with water resource management as well. And then, you know, in Barbados, our climate resilience overarching program called Roofs to Reefs, um, which really emphasizes the importance of having all of the stakeholders in the water catchments and um, just that, making sure that what happens on the land um, does not affect the marine resources. Very interesting. I really appreciate uh, the insights you've been able to provide to uh, what uh, small fishing industry and artisanal fishers have facing in a small island, island nation. So I also forgot to mention that we want to try to get more women involved in fishing. We have just a few uh, fisher ladies, as we would call them, but making the industry more attractive so that women who may think it's a male-dominated industry might be more, you know, inspired to be a captain aboard a vessel, take take out a boat on their own, and even get away from those traditional things which would be like processing the fish, preparing the fish to actually you know, own a boat and, um, and even become a marine mechanic. Those, those career choices that we thought was out of reach. Well, maybe you can have some uh, interchange with the Canadian um, fishery sector where, you know, for instance, in the lobster industry, there's um, some more uh, female captains and so on and uh, vessels that uh, than there used to be. So maybe there's some interesting interchange of ideas and experiences that you could have in that regard. Yes, yeah, definitely. I would like to see an exchange in the future, yes. Thanks for listening to Edible Ocean Podcast. Tony Winson hosted and did the recruiting for the interviews. I'm Edith Wilson, Tony's audio and production assistant. I also manage our Instagram. Follow us at edibleocean underscore podcast. Follow Professor Tony on Twitter at Industrial Diet. This podcast was made with support from the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada.